Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast. Today's guest is someone I have absolutely loved listening to and watching over the last few years. She's really articulate in the way that she talks about different topics and situations. She's an advocate for all people. She's a DJ, she's a presenter. She's just brilliant and she's a mum of two as well. And she's the first guest ever to bring snacks into the studio. It's Ashley James. (laughs) Firstly, I love the intro, but uh, yeah, the snack thing. Honestly, I get so hungry and it comes on me straight away. Really? You know that sort of pregnancy hunger lots of people get? I have that with breastfeeding and I didn't have it first time around but this time it's savage I think it was only when my third baby the pregnancy biscuits the cookies the breastfeeding ones yeah sorry. yeah yeah I used to be like I need these actually because it's like five a day for a breastfeeding mum I need them because it will help me in every single way with my hunger with my milk supply it's great I mean, mine is just literally any food near me. I don't care if it's healthy. I don't care if it's not healthy. It's very healthy today. It's fruit. But what was that advert where it's like, you're not you if you're hungry. That's me. <laughs> if, the hunger, if the hunger comes on, it's just better for everyone if I've got a snack. It's good. It's like a sense of self-awareness. Like, what do you need to be the best you? A snack. Yeah. Same as my son, actually. He gets real bad hanger. Really? Like, the only time he has proper toddler meltdowns where like, he's hungry. And you just have to bring out anything. Pouch. Yeah. 
I don't know if it's a boy thing, but I think kids are like that. I know my sister had to set timings, actually. She had to set alarms during COVID to let her know when her child is allowed a snack. Because Summer Ray would, like, she'd constantly be asking for snacks. And Georgie was like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to set an alarm clock for 11 o'clock and that's when you're getting your snack. <laughs> but my kids, if they come home from school and they're not fed within the next five minutes, it's literally like it's trying to just keep them constantly away from the cupboard drawer, you know, the snack drawer. It's awful. Yeah, I think that is something that really does run through all of us. Yeah. We need that supply. Mm. How are you feeling? Do you know what? I feel good. Yeah. yeah. I feel um, excited. It's my first time doing a podcast since having Aja. Oh. And how has it been being back? You've done gigs and stuff. Yeah, so I've been doing DJ gigs. I've done Steph's Pat Lunch. Yeah, I've just been back pretty much from straight away. And it's been really lovely. I think it's a very personal choice for everyone. But for me, I did my like kind of newborn year with Alfie in lockdown. So I just couldn't wait to experience everything on the other side of lockdown. So I've yeah. almost gone back really, really, really quickly. But I've loved it because Ada comes everywhere with me. Obviously, she's here watching <laughs> today. And yeah, I love it. I think she's four months now. And at four months, Alfie had only just met my parents. Gosh. So it's very, very different. It's stressful. It's like there's a lot of juggling and... yeah. But I love it. It's great. And I wonder if that has also made you do things differently in the sense that I always feel like subsequent children, people are constantly going, I'm going to pull up the drawbridge this time and I'm not going to have people over when it's the newborn stage, you know, because that influx of visitors can be so overwhelming. But actually, because it would have just been you guys with Alfie, has it been different in terms of like having as many people over, whoever wants to come just there, you know, not waiting to kind of settle, if you like. Yeah, definitely. And I think loneliness was a big part of my newborn experience the first time round. And I missed my friends. I missed my family. Mm. I missed my work. I missed DJing. Then when we were finally let out, everything was very overwhelming to try and do it all of a sudden. And I think becoming a mum is so hard for everyone. But mm. in that lockdown time, everyone's life changed in lockdown and then everyone's life changed as a mum and it was almost this, I didn't recognise myself when I came out of lockdown and I couldn't quite figure out if it was like some kind of PTSD from lockdown or if it was postnatal depression or just kind of like a lethal combination of the two. Yeah. I like compounded that with so much guilt. You know, you think people have it worse than you, you know, why all of that combined just sent me into a really dark place. So this time I loved it. I had... Alfie, my son, came to visit on the day with my in-laws, who I love, and I just had, like, company as much as possible. And, you know, Ada's been in TV studios, and now she's here, and she's been into Ministry of Sound for my DJ <laughs> I gig. Um, she, yeah, so she's been up and down the country and abroad, and it's been amazing to kind of have those two very contrasting experiences. Yeah, being able to enjoy it in a very different way. Yeah. Because of lockdown, I guess you wouldn't know how that would have affected you anyway, like either lockdown or becoming a new mum. I feel like we're so quick to forget actually what that period was like. Do you know what? It's funny because I remember when I was pregnant and then when I had Alfie, everyone kept saying, I feel so sorry for new mums. Like, mm. you know, they're having to do this in lockdown. And I didn't know any difference. Yeah. So I was like, oh, it's actually quite nice. It gave me something really positive to focus on during what was quite a scary time and quite an isolating time. So I was like, oh no, this is amazing. I feel really lucky that I'm doing it in lockdown. And actually it was only, I think, when we came out of lockdown that everyone else's life went quite quickly back to a sort of semi-normal. Mm. And I just didn't recognise my life at all. And, you know, I used to DJ around the world with my best friend and suddenly she kind of went back to that life. But I 
couldn't even leave my son because he was still breastfeeding and wouldn't take a bottle. And I think just that shift, I really, really, really struggled. Um, And it kind of made me like think, have I done the right thing? Maybe I shouldn't have had a baby. And then I'd feel awful because obviously you love this little thing to death but I just mourned my old life. And I think now, sure, there's elements of my old life that I miss, but it feels like a nice, like a very different chapter and I can appreciate all the the beautiful parts of this chapter. So it's a little bit like when you leave university or, you know, wherever, school, whatever it might be, that you kind of like, okay, well, that was fun, but on to the next. Whereas I think I've always found it really hard to... I didn't want to leave uni. I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, no, I have to be an adult for the rest of my life. How boring. But it's that thing, isn't it? If you were to always stay where you were, like uni, like school, everyone else is changing. Everyone else is moving away. Yeah. Everyone else's lives continue. So if you were to ever stay in that one spot, it would never be the same experience for that duration. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's a very weird thing. And actually, I know that a lot of people, when we talk about COVID, I'm sure some people like, can we stop talking about it? I feel like I haven't talked about it. So it's an enough time away for us to actually reference it. Because if we don't, we're going to all be carrying around this thing, this stuff, and not have actually processed what we went through and actually validate what has happened since now we feel. It feels like no time has passed, but so much has changed. Yeah. Like I remember even in COVID watching films and it looked weird that people were like hugging and kissing. Yeah. And I remember being like, oh, the old life was so weird. <laughs> what are people doing? And now it's just normal again, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's so interesting. But then I always think for that period of time, I mean, people who were already parents had it tough because they had to homeschool. Yeah. People who were new mums had it tough because they couldn't necessarily enjoy their maternity leave or what they expected that and new mum bubble all the was the help that would have been there. Help, new friends, yeah. meeting other mums, meeting other parents. Then you have like teenagers or people at university. I feel like everyone was sort of robbed of this time yeah but nobody really talks about it yeah and I'll never know how much was lockdown and how much was becoming a mom and I also had quite a traumatic birth and I think doing it all again with Ada has actually been very healing because it's made me realize that actually my feelings were really valid it was really tough the first time around and it wasn't necessarily that I did anything wrong or you know that I was being pathetic because that's yeah. the thing in my my mind. I've always prided myself on like having a high pain threshold, so I'll be fine in birth because I've run marathons or, you know, lack of sleep. I was like, I'll be fine because I, I'm a DJ, so I'm used to a lack of sleep. I'll be fine. And then when I started to really struggle with all of it, I felt pathetic. I was yeah. like, people have it worse than you. Like, you know, you should be able to do this. You're being weak-willed. You're being pessimistic. And I really like dug myself down. Yeah. Whereas this time, Ada, she's a very different baby, but it was also... The whole thing has been a completely different experience. Been amazing. And actually, I want to give like new mum Ashley a bit of a hug because I'm like, it actually was really hard. Yeah. And you did okay. Yeah. When people listen to conversations about motherhood, even if they're 20 years out of that experience, they listen to an experience that was similar to their own. They feel like connected and they can relate. You can even heal years after. Mm. And I love that. That's why I think it's so important that those conversations are being had and out there. Have uh, you heard this thing about flamingos when they become mums? No. I love this idea. I think about it all the time. So when a flamingo becomes a parent, they lose their pink and it takes a few years for their pink to come back. And they say because they give so much of themselves to their babies that they lose their pink for a while. And I think that represents a lot of new mum's journeys really well. So I like to think that I'm only just starting to find my pink again now that Alf's two and a half. 
Yeah, isn't that amazing? That makes me really emotional. Yeah, you do look really emotional. <laughs> I always think about it now. I'm like, yeah. it's like a flamingo. They give everything that they lose their colour. And I do see it. I see it with so many of my like friends who become mums. And I think, you know, it's almost like we're not allowed to talk about it. Yeah. And that's what makes me sad. If you have a bad birth, it's like, don't scare pregnant people. And of course, don't scare pregnant people. <laughs> um, but where do we have a space to be like, I found that really hard and I know I'm not the first person to have a baby. And I know that I should have expected sleepless nights, but yeah. I didn't quite understand sleep deprivation to the point that it's like, I used to think, oh, well, you know, I'm used to partying, so I'll be fine. But I didn't really think that the day after I partied, I could lie on the sofa yeah. <laughs> and watch Netflix and there was an end to it. And it was a choice to an extent, obviously work is work, but there was a choice that you knew that would come to an end even if it was like four days you're like oh okay the end's in sight but yeah. with Alfie you know he was up every hour for a year and it it drove me to insanity but I didn't know when it was going to stop yeah and then I couldn't focus on anything but it was like the rest of the world still expected me to be this highly functional person and I didn't even know who I was or <laughs> where I was or what day it was and yeah, the flamingo pink, I think, sums up motherhood perfectly. I love it. I'll be using that yeah. massively. What was your childhood like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just going straight in. Yes. Therapy. Um, do you know what? My childhood was actually really interesting because I grew up on a farm in the north of England. My parents, born and bred Northerners, always lived in the same area. They met when they were really young at Young Farmers Club. Young Farmers Club, I think that's what it's called. I hope <laughs> A load so. of farmers are going to be getting angry, like, <laughs> that's not what it's called. And then we went on scholarship, my brother, then me, and my sister actually, to the local boarding school because they had to let a certain number of working class kids in every year. Right. Then it was actually quite a weird childhood. I loved the whole experience. I felt like it was before Harry Potter, actually. You know, it did feel like suddenly you're going into this completely wild experience. But what it meant is that I never quite felt good enough because I was suddenly too posh for home. Mm. And a lot of things I was told that at school were normal, I was told at home weren't normal. Yeah. But then I wasn't posh enough for school either. So I kind of sat in between these two worlds where I felt like I had to try really hard to be appreciated or to be loved. And that was everything from, you know, I was born a Geordie and then I faked a posh accent, which is now the way I speak. <laughs> and then, yeah, I remember at school we were taught to call any male adult sir and then I'd go home and go to the co-op and I'd be like, thank you, sir. And my <laughs> mum and dad would be like, you're so embarrassing, man, what are you doing? Um, so I think all in all, it was really happy and I feel really lucky for the experience I've always had this sort of insecurity. I'm not enough. And I've yeah. always had to, I've, it's taken me a long time, probably till the point that I'm in my 30s, to realise that actually you don't have to work really, really hard for people to like you. Well, I think that is such a learning curve, though. I think all, like so Everyone. many of Yeah. We're constantly like trying to be accepted. So many different layers. And I think, especially being a woman as well, we're told how to be. Yeah. And I think for me, like accents are such a big thing. We kind of assume so much about someone from an accent. So I always felt at school, you know, I was like the Geordie girl. Mm. And it'd be like, go on, say something. <laughs> and then at home, I was like the posh girl. And I felt like both times that kind of misrepresented who I was or I was insecure about not being like everyone else yeah. in both of those environments. And even going through life, you know, 
people make so many assumptions about the way you talk and I think it's taken me so long to not feel like I have to change my accent in yeah. almost like a chameleon in certain situations and I'm sure if I ask most people they're going to assume that I was kind of brought up in this very like well-to-do London sort of environment well, I guess especially because I'm in Chelsea so people would just yeah I mean even when that. I did Made in Chelsea and I told my dad he was like do they need Geordie Jeff on <laughs> <laughs> no dad <laughs> did you ever look to the future and think about having your own kids being a mum. Do you know what? It's really interesting because I'd say when I was a teenager, I'd always say things like when I'm married and have children and probably even in my early 20s, I remember being at uni saying, I'm going to get engaged at 24 and married at 26 and then I have my first baby by 28. And obviously that time came and went. Yeah. And I remember breaking up with my last boyfriend at 27. And at the time, it felt like the end of the world because I was like, I'm so old now. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to have to start again and I'm so behind. And then I was single for six years and it was the best six years ever. I feel like I was living my Carrie Bradshaw life, you know, traveling the world and going out for dinner all the time with friends. And that's when I started to think, hang on. I actually really don't want marriage and I can't see myself with children. And I used to always say, I'm not maternal. I'm not maternal. I don't want children. Right. And it's funny how you like form these limiting beliefs about yourself, isn't it? Because I was like adamant, no, no, I'm not going to have children and I'm not maternal and that's not who I am. And by the way, I do think that's a perfectly valid life choice to be child free. But now it's so weird because the moment Alf came along, it's like I was almost like made to be a mum. Like mm. I felt so maternal and I wouldn't say I'm necessarily like, oh, goody, a children's party. <laughs> like my mother-in-law, she loves it. Like any children's party, she's like, can I come? And I wish I was like that. That's not me. I feel very like connected and in tune with my children and with their needs. And I kind of surprise myself. But I think it was also hard because I never envisioned my life as having children that yeah. it almost like changed overnight. Yeah. So when you met Tommy, was that the start of you kind of going, oh, maybe that children would be a part of my future? Do you know what? It's weird because I remember saying to him, because he really wanted kids, not like straight away, but he always said he really wanted kids. And I remember saying to him like, oh, I just can't guarantee that I want that. Like maybe I'm not the right person for you because I'd hate for you to date me and kind of hope that yeah. we might have kids and I'd never give it to you. Which I think so many people do. Like they meet people who are like, nah, don't want kids and then expecting them to change yeah, and I also think, which is really embarrassing for me to say now, I'd got into my head that I hated children. Right. So I was like, I don't even like children, which I'm so embarrassed to say it now because now I think the children are the most like magical little things in the world. But I was just like, oh, yeah, no, I hate children. I hate children. I don't know if I could give it to you. But weirdly, I looked back and I'd sent a friend a picture of Tommy with a kid that he must have sent me. And I was like, oh, look, he loves children. So I don't know what was going on in my mind and yeah. how much maybe subconsciously, but I remember that when I did find out that we got pregnant, which was like very fresh into lockdown, it felt like sort of fate. I'm a big believer in fate. And yeah. I was like, okay, I've met this guy. We'd only been together three months at the time. So it definitely wasn't planned or on the cards. And it was his reaction that confirmed like, okay, this is a good thing. He was so excited. And I was like, I remember saying to my friend, but I'm so young. She was like, Ashley, you're 34 years old. <laughs> Ouch! <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> um, but it just felt right. But I think it made it scary because when things were hard in my own struggles with yeah. becoming a mum, it wasn't ever like 
well, this is what I wanted. It was like, oh, maybe I have made the wrong decision. I didn't even want this, but I also love my child so much. And I felt like I was kind of in this weird, like, sort of like, what have I done? I'm trapped. I had those thoughts and I did want to be a mum. In my mind, I saw kids in my future always. Mm. And then that first three months, that first three weeks of having buzz, I was just like, what have I done? Like, yeah. Okay. And I think it is such an overwhelming change. No matter what you think in terms of whether you want children or not, I think... When we see people with newborns, generally, it's a very warped perception of what that is, what that experience is like, because you get to hold the baby for a little while, usually they're quiet or just looking cute, and then you get to hand them back and it's all nice and peaceful. But actually, when you are the parent, it's constant. And that is such a massive change. Mm. Do you know what? I had that newborn bubble with Alf. I was on cloud nine. I was like... I can't believe I never wanted this. Like, let's have 10 children. Let's have 30. <laughs> like, this is the best thing ever. And lots of my friends who had babies really struggled with those, like, first few months. And what I found hard is my struggles came at four, five, six months up until a year. And by that point, I think a lot of people have stopped asking. Cause they're yeah, like, oh, they just fine. Did, Yeah. And I would say things, you know, like oh, you know, he doesn't see it, but it's all worth it. It's so worth it, guys. Like, mums are so negative. Honestly, it's amazing. And then I was suddenly like, oh, hang on a minute. I am actually really tired. I think, it, you know, when the adrenaline died down <laughs> and the excitement and probably, like, everyone around being around and suddenly I was like, oh, this is my life now and I'm actually really tired and I live really far away <laughs> suddenly from everyone and... That was when I started to really struggle, but everybody assumed that I was fine because yeah. I'd already said I was fine. Yeah. And I think as well, I was lucky to breastfeed, but I found it like, it sounds horrible, but it was almost like I didn't have any freedom, but everybody else that had children around the same time as me, it felt like their lives had gone back to a bit more of normality. You know, mm. their babies were sleeping in the next room and they were on the bottle. And by the way, I know it's never this black and white. Like nobody has it easy, <laughs> no matter what way you do things. But I was like, Alf was still in my bed. He was still waking up every hour. He was still like refusing to take a bottle. And I just felt like, what am I doing wrong? And it was like I needed a break, but I couldn't get a break. Yeah. So, yeah, I think. And there's the saying, this too shall pass. But when you've been woken every hour for six months, seven months, eight months, nine months, that, like that is a lot. That's a long time to wait for that phase to pass. Alf is two and a half and it's only just in the last two weeks that he started sleeping past five. It's honestly been a lot. But amazingly, all we had to do is ban the iPad. Who knew? Really? <laughs> that whole time. I know it doesn't work for everyone because yeah. I've got a friend whose son still wakes up a lot and he's four now. But yeah, we just banned the iPad and now he gets up at seven. So was he waking up at five and you're kind of like, have the iPad? You can yeah, it but it yeah, wasn't we, even we went there. three, four. And yeah. it was kind of like if you could buy yourself an extra half an hour yeah. for your sanity. And then obviously we had Ada. Yeah. So I think the iPad sort of just crept in Yeah. without us really like taking a step back to be like, maybe he doesn't need the iPad. Yeah, yeah. Finding out you were pregnant, did you have any symptoms? Do you know what? It's so interesting. So Lucy Mech had yeah. just recently um, been pregnant. So I think she's nine months ahead of me with Roman. And I remember her saying that she knew she was pregnant because her boobs hurt. Right. So straight away, I was like, my boobs hurt. Oh, no. So I messaged Lucy, Lucy, my boobs hurt. And she was like, you're pregnant. And I was like, don't say that. And she was like, you're pregnant. So that was the <laughs> symptom that I had. And actually, my boobs hurt the first time around. So I remember having to sleep in a bra. Because really? 
I mean, luckily it was lockdown, so no one came close to you apart yeah. from your partner. But <laughs> like, it was honestly, I've never experienced boob pain like it. The hunger, that's what I got. I got really nauseous if I was hungry. But other than that, I didn't really have many symptoms until I got to 27 weeks pregnant. And then I had the worst pelvic girdle pain to the point that like Tommy would basically have to help me walk. Really? Um, I remember at one point we thought, am I going to have to get a wheelchair? Because I couldn't do stairs. I couldn't. It was really, really debilitating. Yeah, that was probably like the worst symptom towards the end of my pregnancy. But amazingly, I didn't get it this time around. Amazing. Mm. And how did you feel heading towards the birth? I watched One Born Every Minute nonstop to kind of see. I was obsessed with it anyway. My mother-in-law kept telling me to watch that, but I was <laughs> really? like, no, I can't. I, weirdly, I was really looking forward to it, but I didn't want to hear anyone's stories. Yeah. I did hypnobirthing. I was like, like I mentioned earlier, I said, I've run marathons. I know how to push myself through pain. I'll be fine. I'm really looking forward to it. I trust my body. I did like, everything right yeah. in terms of, you know, tick, tick, tick. I've done all of these things. And I remember even when my contractions started happening, I was like, this is it. I'm going to discover what childbirth is like. I was really excited because I felt as well like nobody really, I say nobody really talks about it. Everyone talks about it, but you don't listen. But, if you're, <laughs> but also if you're not in that place, to yeah. actually, if you're not, it's, it's uninteresting until you're in it. Do you know what? I was really looking forward to finding out what happens after because mm-hmm. you always would hear like, the baby was born here, mother and baby doing well. And I remember thinking, how can mother be doing well? She's just pushed a baby out of her vagina or had been cut open. Like, how could she be doing well? I want to know, like, what's her genitalia doing? Because I need to know these questions. (laughs) So I remember thinking like, oh, well, I'm going to know now. (laughs) Were you nervous at all? Were you just like, no, I've got this? I was nervous because of lockdown. Yeah. Because, so Alf was born January 9th, but my due date was January 3rd. And I think I'm right in saying that January 2nd or 3rd is when they locked us back down yeah. again in London. Then the website crashed. We didn't know what the rules were with hospital. And I was terrified because at that point, it was partners were only allowed in for active labour. Yeah. I remember saying to Tommy, like, I will give birth in the car park if I have to. Like, I'm not being separated from you. So that was really, really nerve-wracking. But the actual birth, I'd say I was excited for. Yeah. How was it? Like, when things started, how did you know? It was kind of at first what I expected, the sort of, like, I remember bouncing on the birth ball and timing it. And it was obviously painful, like a sort of strong period pain. But I was like, okay, we're calling them surges and it's all going to be okay. And I remember it started at 7.30 and I messaged my midwife about like 11 p.m. I think. And then at 4 a.m. I ended up going into hospital because they were like quite regular at that point. And weirdly, that was when it all changed and it wasn't the contractions that were painful anymore. It was like this constant agony. Like I can't describe the pain because, you know, people say, take snacks, take an iPad. There's loads of time between each contraction. And I felt so... I was just in pain. I was in pain like the whole time. And that's, I think, when I started to be like, wow, this is not like a marathon for me. This is, um, this isn't good. What was causing that constant pain? So he was a really big baby. He was, ended up being 9.5 pounds. But also because I had such severe pelvic girdle pain, my pelvis was already really inflamed. Um, So I think because he had to turn slightly and then he, I think, got stuck. Do you know what? I'm still not entirely sure what went wrong in my birth. I've had a birth debrief and I was really hoping, so anyone can have a birth debrief. I was really hoping for like answers, even something like really practical because 
basically they didn't give me pain relief despite me begging and it went on for 18 hours. I genuinely thought I was going to die and something didn't feel right and they just never quite gave me a reason as to why they didn't give me pain relief. And they said in the birth notes I was doing fine. So it was almost harder to get the birth notes because I thought it would give me answers, yeah. but actually it made me feel even more confused. I was, I said to Tommy, were you under any doubt as to the fact that I was in pain or did I maybe not get my words out properly? He was like, no, 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 like we said you want pain relief. So it was before the Ockenden report, so I don't know how much targets were a part of that. Right. And he came out, obviously, a very big baby. He was very blue. Luckily, like, thank God, he was fine in the end. But then they also stitched me up incorrectly. So basically, for, like, a few months after having Alfie, I kept having, like, what they call fecal incontinence. So normal incontinence, obviously, mm -hmm. is we. Fecal incontinence. Yeah. Poo. I thought it was, like, a normal part of childbirth recovery because, again, like, I don't really... Know heard much about yeah. it and I feel like all the courses it gets you up to birth mm -hmm. we were still in lockdown so we were allowed out for a walk and we kept going to the park and it kept happening and I remember saying to Tommy like, I'm disgusting <laughs> or like I was so worried even like the craft and the like, photographers around the park yeah. and I was like imagine if I get photographed <laughs> and I just got so scared to go out and about and I felt like my body was broken and it, what really annoyed me was like all the conversation was around like your weight or baby weight or how you looked or, oh, you have lost baby weight or you haven't lost baby weight. or And I remember thinking, like, I don't care about that. I just want my body to work. I felt like I'd been, like, just broken. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, you might be shitting yourself, but at least you've lost baby weight. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yay. Yeah. So I think that's when I realised how, like, superficial the conversation is yeah. around I don't think birth. when it comes to stitches, because I know that I have Googled every time how to take care of that area afterwards, and every time it's been different, and I forget every time. I don't understand how there isn't, like, a standard, this is how you sort of bathe and clean and what you should be doing with it. Yeah, because it is a really scary place to have stitches because you can't see them. And obviously, you don't really want to, like, touch around no. because in case you hurt yourself. And it's weird because you become almost, like, afraid of your body. And it doesn't feel like your body. And especially at first because everything's so swollen. And I can remember the health visitor, the midwife, Tom, anyone who would look, because I'm in so much pain, can you mm -hmm. just look and see if that's, like, what it looks like? That I don't know if I should be feeling how I'm feeling. Yeah, Obviously, there was no, like, six-week check. So in my mind, postnatal recovery was you have your baby, six weeks later, you have a check, they tell you everything's fine, then you go back to sex, go back to exercise, go back to normal, and that was it. Yeah. You were recovered. And I didn't ever imagine how little care there is after. Like, even on the six-week check, it was like, can you check my stitches? And they looked at me like I was, like, <laughs> this weirdo. <laughs> and I was like, no, because I was like, I just want to know if they're healed. And it was actually months later when, you know, I went back to hospital about the faecal incontinence that they were like, oh, you, we missed. Basically, it was meant to be front to back, but they only actually stitched the front. So that was why I had so many issues. Oh, my God. Yeah. So luckily, the good thing about that was that for my second birth, I was recommended medically to have a C-section. Right. So it was a completely different experience. So did you have to get stitched later on then? No, I basically became so afraid of anyone being around there because yeah. I had like so much pain, which I later found out is something called vaginismus. Megan Trainer came out recently oh, and yeah. said she had it and tabloids were like, yeah. said what they said. But yeah, so vaginismus is 
when a woman has any form of trauma, so in my case, childbirth, you hold on to a lot of stress in your vaginal muscles. Mm -hmm. So anything like from, you know, a tampon, I wouldn't have been able to use a tampon. Like It was so painful. So I thought it must have been because I was like the stitches hadn't healed properly or, you know, there was something wrong. And I knew I needed to go for a smear test because I kept getting reminded and kept getting reminded. And it sounds awful, but I was like, I can't put myself back in that environment. I don't want to like lie down with my legs open in a professional space. Yeah. So eventually I went to go see a gynecologist that somebody recommended me and it was private and it was away from like a hospital setting because I thought like, if I don't have a smear test, I could die. Like I need to do this. Yeah. Obviously didn't want to leave Alf without mum just because I was too scared to have a smear and that was when um he said no 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 the stitches are fine then I was like okay but then what because I have this pain and you know I can't have sex I can't use tampons I feel like I can't function like this whole area of my body does not work anymore and then yeah it was a pelvic health physio that said vaginismus and it's actually really easy to treat it's like a sort of massage there and it just kind of like, like letting everything yeah un- completely yeah. loosens the muscles and then it's fine but that took private healthcare and a lot of like me being like no this isn't right because even the gynecologist was like no it's just in your head it's like your stitches are fine it's just in your head and I was like but how do I get it out of my head then mm. so basically I don't know yet what I will have to do for my first birth because I had prolapse as well um, right. it's called rectocele so obviously I was stitched up incorrectly and then had prolapse but because I then got pregnant with Ada, which was very planned and very wanted, I thought, just throw myself into it. But they don't do any treatment because obviously then you're about to have a baby loaded onto yeah. your pelvic floor all over again. And obviously you have to do birth again. So now I have to wait till she's six months old and then I can start to look at how we can fix the first birth. Mate, that's a lot. Mm, it's a lot. But do you know what I found that like knowledge is power? The yeah. moment I was told vaginismus, because otherwise easy to you've treat. got people telling you it's in your head. Yeah. And and, it, and even if it is in your head, like how did you get it out of your head? And yeah. I feel like, you know, we have children and it's like we're almost like we're left. Yeah. I feel fortunate that I was in a position to be able to pay for the gynecologist and then be able to pay for pelvic health physio. But it shouldn't be a privilege. No. In the same way that, you know, whenever I've had any other operation... I've had aftercare and I don't understand why they leave us. Mm-hmm. So many women I speak to say, yeah, I think I've got a prolapse, but I was told it's not possible. And it's like, why are we letting women down? Yeah. And the knock-on effect that that has physically, emotionally, meant like it impacts everything. Yeah, 100%. And also we have this sort of attitude of like, shh, you'll scare pregnant people. Like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. And I, I could not agree more. Like, the one thing I hated about my pregnancy was everyone coming with their negative stories. Mm. But there has to be a way that we can allow people to have conversations to whoever needs it so that yeah. we can change the system because that's going to help everyone. Because otherwise you will feel isolated if that's happening to you and you've not heard of it anywhere Yeah. Before. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Can you remember meeting Alfie for the first time? Yeah. How was that? <laughs> Controversially. Uh, it's okay. Everybody always says, like, just wait until you see their faces. Wait until you see their faces. Like, it's so worth it. And that's kind of what got me through this horrific birth. And I just wanted him to be okay. Because you think, you know, when his heart dropped and everything else, I was thinking, oh, my God, I just want him to be okay. I just want him to be okay. The moment I knew he was fine, I looked at his face and I was like, I just want to go home and see my dog. <laughs> Like I was like, what? he was like really purple, really bruised, really Aww. swollen. I just remember thinking like, oh, I can't describe it now, but I just didn't feel any form of attachment. Huge relief that he was okay. But I remember saying to Tommy, bear in mind we were kicked out of the hospital after five hours. So I remember being on the way home and saying to Tommy, do you love him? Mm. Like, yeah, of course, do you? Like, yeah, of course. And I was like, oh. I was like, I feel like we're taking like a stranger home and he just lives with us now. And I remember bringing him into the house and I was like, hope you like it. Like, this is this is where you live. And I, it was so weird yeah. because I just didn't feel that. I was more excited to see my dog. Yeah. And I think, you know, a few days in, breastfeeding him, I remember it, the whole thing felt surreal. Like I couldn't believe he was here. I was so relieved he was healthy. But I just didn't feel that love. And it, mm. it grew and grew and grew. And I think by day three, I was like, okay, like, phew. Yeah. You know, the milk came in and I'd like stare down at him and I'd lie awake and just like be staring at him. But it wasn't that love at first sight. It feeling. carries so much expectation, I think, that moment. And when we can get away from that Hollywood feeling of life falls into place. And so some people it will, but for others it's so complex and it is something that actually over time... Will seep in and I think a lot of it will depend on your birth and yeah. that experience as well because it's kind of not surprising that I went through it's interesting because I'd say that Alfie's birth was one of the worst days of my life Ada's birth one of the best days of my life of course I love both kids like eternally but I had that love at first sight experience with Ada yeah I didn't have it with Alf and I'm sure that the birth and the whole day around it, and not maybe because it was my second, I, yeah. d I don't know, but they were just completely different emotions. And it's not surprising then that you also wanted to see your dog when your dog is something that gives you comfort. Yeah, he was like my best friend. So yeah, I just remember thinking like, I just want to see Snoop. <laughs> Gosh. How was the first little bit with Alfie at home? Because obviously it was lockdown, so it was just you guys. So it was lovely. The first, I'd say, four months in my little pink flat in, in London, <laughs> um, it was really nice. I think because I surprised myself at how instinctive I felt with motherhood yeah. that I was like, oh, maybe I am maternal. And it was hard. Like I missed getting to introduce him to my parents or getting to introduce him to Tommy's parents or friends or anyone. But it was also quite special that 
I think because we'd been in lockdown for so long, mm. it kind of felt like this new, beautiful, positive addition to what was quite like a scary, frightening time. Yeah. Um, so for the most part, I'd say apart from the physical recovery, it was really good. Was breastfeeding something that you wanted to do from the start? Yeah, so I'd heard that breastfeeding was hard. So I actually had a lactation kind of consultant come a few days in because yeah. I just couldn't like figure it out. And actually, I didn't know if I'd be able to breastfeed on both boobs because I had a really big lump removed when I was 15 and I had to take my nipple off and put it back on. So I didn't know if I would be able to breastfeed on that side or not, and I could. And I'd say actually like breastfeeding for me both times has been pretty smooth sailing I know it's not like that because my sister had the total opposite experience um but yeah no that from breastfeeding I think was really good and even though he didn't sleep it didn't bother me at the beginning yeah and then going again and having Ada was that because the first birth had been so traumatic like was it a case of just diving in and just doing it or was it something that you had to really get yourself prepared for so I think I only realised how traumatised I was from Alf's birth fully when I had Ada because the thought of giving birth again, every time I talked about the birth, I'd cry. Every time I thought of my birth with Alfie, I cried. I did the birth debrief and, like I said, I was really hoping for answers and to be told you were coping fine. Mm. It was awful and I was recommended doing what's it called the tapping thing yes oh EDMR. yeah 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 EDMR. EDMR. something like that I, I probably got the order wrong but you can't do that when you're pregnant so from my birth debrief the really good thing the lady who did it was amazing and she just said look medically we would encourage you to have a c-section anyway but I wanted one I was like I can't experience that again yeah. I can't risk experiencing that again and I wanted it to feel like a completely new and different experience knowing that that wasn't going to happen again like absolutely because you were going to have an elective c-section did that mean that you could enjoy the pregnancy more as well yeah I actually found myself looking forward to the birth again but interestingly everything I loved about my first pregnancy I hated about my second oh really so like what? my first trimester I was so sick with Ada I wasn't really sick with Alf I was really sick but I was thinking second trimester it's the best I've ever felt in my life like my second trimester with Alf I felt like mother earth and like bless I just was like floating around like <laughs> animals everywhere and I just felt amazing I felt beautiful and my second trimester came along Alf was getting up at three in the morning continuously and I just felt disgusting and tired I wasn't enjoying the pregnancy at all to the point that I was like, oh, no, what am I doing? Why am I doing this again? What what, what, have, what have we done? Um, and then my third trimester, which with Alf I couldn't move because pelvic girdle pain was actually my favourite. I had so much energy. I felt amazing. And then the birth was amazing. It was everything I hoped it would be. And it's interesting because I always hear these conversations around cesareans versus vaginal births and, you know, people feeling robbed or judgment around the type of birth. And I've never felt like I didn't have a proper birth with mm -hmm. Ada. And actually, I feel like it gave me the gift of a positive story. I know it's not the same for everyone and it's very personal, but my recovery has been much more... It almost felt like when you have an operation, it was much more of a straightforward recovery, like, you know... You can see your stitches. You mm -hmm. kind of know when it's going to recover and what you're allowed to do. I feel like they give you much more information when you're recovering from a C-section. Like if I think about 
my sister, like, we knew how to treat her scar. Whereas when it's a vaginal birth, I don't feel like there's the same aftercare. Yeah, but I would still say the aftercare is poor in terms of, like, there's still no real guidance on things like going back to exercise, what mm. you're allowed to do, lifting. So you've got to seek it so out. So I, I use the same pelvic health physiotherapist again and private again, but so I've had some knowledge, but I've paid for that knowledge and mm. I don't understand why, they, again, they, it feels like they're letting so many women down in that sort of postnatal recovery. Yeah. But if I could relive that day every day, I would. And Alf was a big part of it because he came in the afternoon and seeing his face and getting to meet Ada and... Yeah, the whole day I feel like it was very healing because yeah. it allowed me to have that positive experience and also be like, wow, that first experience was as bad as I thought mm. it was. Can you remember saying goodbye to Alfie before going to hospital? That was that was one of the most emotional moments. <laughs> and it's weird, isn't it? Because it's like next time you see them, they obviously are your baby, but they seem so big. Yeah. And I remember before we actually stayed in a hotel the night before, to have like a little date before the C-section. It's amazing because obviously the first time around, I think Alf was about two weeks late. So every day I was waking up like, is it going to be today? Is it going to be today? Where it was this most surreal experience, like going on a date and then being like, oh, it's tomorrow and knowing <laughs> the exact time and it just completely worlds apart in mm. terms of experiences. But I remember just thinking, I don't, I don't want to leave you because when I see you again, you're not going to be my tiniest baby. Yeah, and it changes, like, that's that dyna dynamic. Everything about it, life changes. Yeah, and I have to say that was the hardest part about the C-section recovery because obviously you're not allowed to lift and mm. I couldn't really even have, have him sat on me because obviously I had the C-section scar. So of all of the recovery, I'd say that part was the hardest of having to be really strict because even right up to the birth I was holding him and you know how they say like stop holding them towards the end because they need to get used to it I just couldn't oh so yeah not being able to like hug him properly was yeah. the hardest how did you prepare him for being a big brother we talked about him having a sister a lot we talked about babies a lot we had books about yeah. babies but he was so young he didn't really get it and actually you know they say make sure the baby gives them a present <laughs> yeah so he loved like he loves baby dolls so we got him like this little pram and a new baby. So when we'd said, are we going to meet your new baby, your new baby sister, he came into the room and there was obviously the actual baby in the bed next to me because they say, like, you shouldn't hold them or whatever. Yeah. But then we put the baby and the pram on the other side and he got so excited. I think he thought his baby sister was the doll. <laughs> so he was like, amazing. And then when we had to be like, no, 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 that's your baby sister. <laughs> and I'd say he, it's he's never... he's taken his time but yeah. you know he it's a, such a big change but now we're in this like amazing phase where she's four months and he just loves her like every day he's like Ada hello Ada Ada watching you <laughs> and it's just been so joyful I think from the moment she was born yes there's been challenges but going from naught to one was 10,000 times harder than going from one to two and it just feels like she was the missing piece for all of us. Mm. It's been really nice. Yeah. How has motherhood impacted you in general? I mean, massively for good and bad, but I think it's definitely made me a much more empathetic person. 
I cringe at some of the things I used to say. I have one really good friend who is a mum of two and I used to turn up to her house when we go for dinner. I'd be like, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so tired. <laughs> and now I'm like, okay, I'm so sorry. You must have thought I was so annoying. She was like, no, it was actually nice because, you know, you never... Because I never asked about her kids. I just didn't see yeah. them as... I, I don't know. I just like my friend. Mm -hmm. And now I was like, I'm so sorry. I never asked. And she was like, yeah, but do you know what? I actually love that because at the time she felt she was going through this thing where people just saw her as a mom. Yeah. She's like, and you didn't, didn't even see, see me as a mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it made me feel a little bit better. But yeah, I just think it's made me much more understanding and much more patient. And actually it's made me feel like I'm really good at something I think yeah. you know we touched earlier on like in my childhood feeling like I was never quite good enough and this has been the first thing where I'm like I'm a really good mum mm. and I might not always get everything right I don't mind like I'm learning on the job but my heart and my love and the sacrifice I feel like I make sometimes I get that balance wrong I think that yeah. I sacrifice even myself for them and I'm trying this time to be a little bit better with that and to future proof my feelings like I, I need to get her on a bottle because I know that further down the line I might really depend on that but I feel like a really good mum and I wish more people had the courage to say that like yeah Oh my gosh, that debate that you had. And um, what I love, Ashley, is the fact that you champion people and you do it in such an eloquent way. Eloquent way. Just like you. But like the debates that you have, they blow my mind. And, and the way that you stay so cool and collected when someone is talking to you about traveling with children and what to do with it. Like the lady you were talking to actually said, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, like that is someone who has no idea what it's like. But she's Having a children. mother. Oh, my God. And this is the problem that I do think. I think people forget the struggles because everyone has this rose-tinted vision of newborns and having children and it's that idea of enjoy every moment, it goes yeah. so quickly. And, of course, it goes quickly. But telling someone that's struggling, that's going through this match sense, who's, you know, lost their flamingo pink and telling them to enjoy it I get it, especially now that I'm out the other side of it and knowing how quickly it goes. But I couldn't wait for that moment to go. Like All I wanted to do was be able to sleep. So yeah. someone telling me, like, enjoy every moment, I'd be like, <laughs> I'll enjoy it when they sleep. I think, you know, that kind of attitude sums it up perfectly. The fact we have to debate whether children should be allowed in public spaces. And I'm embarrassed of who I was before, but it's interesting, like, how has society become so anti-child mm. that... Like, where did I get that from? Because I'd never really been around children, but yeah. it embarrasses me that I was a feminist who championed women that had such a weird stigma against mums and against children. And now I'm really proud to know that I will always be the person that if I see a child on a plane that's upset, I will go and try and help. Absolutely. And you know the impact that that will have on that person. I can remember watching on this morning people like debating about and this was nine years ago about children being on flights and I was about to get on a flight to Australia with a 10 and a half month old and I just got on this flight and I just felt like every single person was against me before they'd done anything they hadn't done a single thing but because I had seen people debating it I just assumed that everyone on there was against me and I spent the first part of the flight trying to get Buzz to sleep, to settle, to not make any noise so we didn't, you know, impact anyone else's journey. And I can remember I got to the point where I cried 
And it was only when I cried that other people came over and, you know, just on the queue to the toilet or whatever later on, they'd be like, you're doing such a good job. Like, we've been there. That it kind of dissipates all of that other nonsense that you put on a situation. It's what you carry because of those types of people who vocalise those crazy opinions. Yeah, and that's the thing. I feel like people forget that a parent's job is help regulate their children. Yeah. And so if that parent is stressed because people make stupid comments or judgments or tucks or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be, that once that parent is upset and stressed, they're not going to be able to do the job of calming down their child yeah. either. And, you know, I had it the other day with Ada on the tube and she was a bit upset and these two Spanish ladies just came and took her off me yeah. and they were like bobbing <laughs> up and down. And, you know, I know some people might not like that. Like they might be like, give me my child, but I loved it. And it just bought me that little bit of time to like mm -hmm. find my composure. And I love, you know, her, I don't know, it felt like a real sisterhood. And I was like, how nice would that be if we could like instill a little bit of that back into society somehow. Because years ago, it would have been a community yeah. raising a child, you know, and now it's very singular. Yeah. You know, you are in charge of your baby. And actually, if everyone came together, it would be different. Yeah, and I think that across the board, you know, if we could treat pregnant people better so that we're mm. not giving them horror stories, but we're kind of, you know, supporting them, asking them if they want help. Like, it blows my mind that we kind of expected to work up until the point that we've got an entire human inside of us. <laughs> and then um, I always think it's funny as well that when you're a new mum, you don't necessarily get to skip the cues or you don't necessarily get like to sit down. People don't really like think of you and you're like, I've not slept for 10, <laughs> 10 days and I'm still bleeding and my bladder is actually really bad. But I think, you know, if more people kind of had that understanding and even around childbirth, like, you know, it blows my mind that we do this amazing thing and nobody really quite appreciates it. And instead mm. it's like, are you going to lose the baby weight? <laughs> Fuck off. I don't know about you, were you asked in interviews before giving birth about losing the baby weight? Yeah, I mean, mm. I think this is the problem with bounce back culture. Even just by asking the question, are you going to lose the baby weight? So like, I don't know, like ask my genetics, <laughs> like maybe. <laughs> but I, also at the time, I just wanted to survive. And I think, you know, lots of people I know, have lost, I hate even the term baby weight, like what is baby weight? Yeah. But, you know, they've lost weight very quickly and they've actually felt like they've been attacked for not being good role models. But a lot of them are like stressed or, yeah. or even that that's just their bodies. We've just got to stop objectifying bodies full stop. Like some people will, some people won't. But ultimately, like, are they healthy? Are they coping? Are they, there should just be so much more of a dialogue there that doesn't include bounce back. Yeah. If you could write a letter on motherhood, who would it be to and what would you say? I think it would be to my younger self, to the me even of a few years ago who said they hated children and shouldn't have children on planes and shouldn't have good childcare because why should we have to pay for it? And I, I think I'd just, you know, encourage myself to be a bit softer and to include mothers in feminism and just to be a bit of a nicer human really because I think you know people deserve a lot of empathy and you know however you look at parents mothers in particular whether you want children or not they are raising the next generation and I think you know that's a huge massive role for mm -hmm. anyone you know raising good sons raising wise daughters it's a huge responsibility. And so, I, you know, I think it should be a bit more of a team effort and be child-free, have children, but treat people with a bit more empathy and kindness. It goes back to what you said earlier about how 
if you're stressing out the person that's meant to calm or meant to give that child a service, if you like, that is going to filter through in whatever way. Do you know what else I would say? The reason that lots of mums only talk about their babies is because they actually have nothing else to say. And I remember I hated that about myself when I had Alf. I remember mm. my friend saying, how's Alfie? And I started telling her and I could see like the light just Switch. went out. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh gosh, she doesn't care. And then she was like, so what else is new? And I remember thinking in my brain, like, think of something else, think of something else, think of something else. And it made me hate myself and it made me hate my life because I was like, I remember just going, I, I, I've got, I don't, I don't have anything else. And I went away feeling so flat, like, yeah. I'm just going to think I'm boring. And I wish I'd just known to my four years ago, three years ago self, like, it's okay if they talk about that because also, like, they have just as much right to talk about that as you yeah. have to talk about whatever you talk about. Also, the flip side of that is that you can be placed in any park with any mum or dad and instantly have hours of chat. Mm. It's a total leveller. I don't care who I'm sitting next to in a baby club. I don't care who I'm sitting next to in the park. Like, you can talk straight away and have deeper conversations with those people than you would in any other situation. And also, I hated that I only had my child to talk about but that time, like, you do get bits of yourself back and, yeah. and, you know, you will be able to talk about other things again. And it's okay if for a short period of time you only have your child to talk about because you're so tired that your brain doesn't even work anymore, that, yeah. you know, you're not doing all the things that you used to do. And, yeah, I think that would be something I would include as well. I'd have literally been like, I watched a really good episode of Countdown, actually, on the morning feed. <laughs> <laughs> like, what else is there? Yeah. We end each episode of the podcast with you completing three sentences. The first one is being a mum means. I think being a mum means being thrown into a completely parallel universe where from the outside everything seems the same but nothing is ever the same and it's full of the highest of highs and I'm going to say the lowest of lows. Like Every day is a challenge. You're trying to make a jigsaw piece where you can't find all the pieces but you need to kind of keep it together every day. But for the most part, life-changing in the most amazing way. Mm. Since having children, I? Since having children, I sleep less, <laughs> but have much more wholesome, joyful days. And I'm happy when? I'm happy when I wake up in the morning to the sound of my kids, mainly because now they get up at a more reasonable time <laughs> and, like, the little laughter usually, can we watch The Lion King? Best way to start the day. I love that. Ashley, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. We have something very exciting to talk about today. Happy mum, happy baby. Well, we are expanding. We're only releasing our very first record. Yes, move over McFly. Move over Tom Fletcher. It's all about happy mum, happy baby. We're going into music, people. We have teamed up with Decca Records and LifeScore to build a one-stop shop for quality, trustworthy educational music for baby, toddler and parent. Music is such a massive part of our family and I'm so thrilled with what we've created. I can't wait for you to hear it. Now, it's worth saying that all the sounds on the album, they are played by real instruments and they feature real nature sounds. There is nothing processed. It is all 
organic. And all of the music aims to be enjoyable listening experience for both the child and the parent. No plonky plonky piano. It's all just beautiful musicians with their instruments. Honestly, it's a joy to listen to. We all know the number one rule for getting your little one to sleep is to stick to a trusted routine. And my hope with this album is that our creation can be a part of that and make bedtime an easier transition for all. The Ultimate Baby Sleep album is here and it encompasses three parts of baby sleep. And it runs in three sections. Wind down, going to sleep and staying asleep. Running seamlessly from top to bottom for the ultimate baby sleep experience. And each section lasts around 30 minutes. So let's delve into each section and tell you what they're about. The wind down is a perfect calming music for bath time and any other pre-bed activity. This encourages special bonding time between parent and baby to prepare sleep. The melodies I've chosen to feature within the music have a very special place within my own experience of sleep routine. I loved singing little ditties or little lullabies and, and this, it's just got that lovely, gentle, melodic feeling to it. The melodies can be easily hummed by parents to capture the bonding power of a parent's voice. And actually, as you listen to the music, you might even catch a few melodies of some traditional classics that were just... Ah, oh, they just fill my heart with such love. The next section we have is called Going to Sleep. How we created this was so interesting and I absolutely loved the recording process to kind of really feel that breath actually of the musicians as they were playing. It also features natural sounds and it entwines the lullabies from the previous wind down to encourage baby to nod off at their own pace and in a relaxed state of mind. Those two sections, they kind of work together and they build. We've found that this is the ideal transition for baby to acknowledge that it is now time to go to sleep. And then the next section, the final section, is during sleep or staying asleep. I like to call it staying asleep because that's the dream, people. But it provides 30 minutes of natural and environmental white noise derived from nature sounds. And then actually this leads into an additional nine and a half hours of natural white noise for babies to prefer continuous white noise once asleep. No waking up in the middle of the night to press a little button on a sheep. Not anymore. There's been so much thought and love poured into these tracks. We've gone through so many different versions. I've pulled on the music that I love, that makes me feel nice and calm. And together with LifeScore and Decca Records, we've really created something that I feel is really magical. I played it to my kids. They love it. I'm so thrilled. <laughs> Can you imagine they didn't? And actually, I have to say that even as an adult, sitting at my desk and listening to different versions, I have often fallen asleep in the best way, in a very contented way. Some might call it work, some might call it a nice little nap. Either way, I loved it and it was all because of this album. With 12 hours of continuous music to help your baby sleep through the night, we are so proud to introduce you to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the sleep album. I can't wait for you to hear it and then for you to tell me how you're getting on. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves 
without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.